1: We're recording another in a series of shows from the venue of ASI International. It's 2019. The month is August, and the setting is Louisville, Kentucky. We're in an exhibit hall here. That's why uh, you hear the uh, noise around us. It's a uh, vibrant place. And the meeting hall is about to close from this particular session, so we may hear some announcements in the background to that extent. But that doesn't mean that we're going anywhere. We will uh, record a full one-hour show here, even though our first segment, like I said, is being recorded late in the day, actually the f- first full day of meetings here at ASI. Across from me are two ladies who I have just had the privilege of meeting. One of them is Nirvana Walton. Nirvana, it's great to have you with us. Nice to be here. <laughs> and the other is Bethy Melador. Great to have you, Bethy.
2: Thank
3: you.
1: Now, you ladies are not only smiling, giving us beautiful smiles, which no one can appreciate on the radio, But you also have these very distinctive shirts, and I'm looking at them. It says NAPS, National Association for the Prevention of Starvation. I find that not a lot of people in Indian country have heard about your organization. At least that's been my impression. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do.
2: So NAPS is a non-profit organization. It actually started with a few students who realized that there were people who were hungry. So they began to do feeding programs every morning. Even though they're students, they woke up early to make sure that these people were fed. Um, and since then, it's just expanded to so many different things. We're able to do children's programs for children in low-income communities. We're able to travel around the states doing school presentations and really encouraging people on health. And our main goal is to not only give people the, the physical healing that they need and take care of that hunger, There's so many other ways that people are starving, whether it be with mental issues, financially, problems in the home. So to make sure that we are able to feed people in whatever way they need that, whether it be physically, mentally, or socially. How
1: long has NAPS been around?
3: NAPS originally started in 1978, and like Navrana said, um, that was when the one student started the work with the feeding programs. So that's over 40 years from now, and today we've actually expanded. Um, We work in over 40 countries. Really? And um, traveled to and done relief work in over 24 countries um, and have 13 existing bridges internationally.
1: Wow. So where did NAPS actually start? Where was this student?
2: It started in Huntsville, Alabama. Okay. Um, we currently have a campus there that has many students that help out. But we also have another campus, three hours south, which I'm sure Beth, would love to talk about.
3: We call that the Southern Alabama campus. And uh-huh. that one is located in an area about an hour and a half um, south of Birmingham. And that area is called Soyaville.
1: Soyaville? Yes. Now, I've not heard of Soyaville. Is that a town?
3: You could call it that, an incorporated town. Not so much officialized as a city, but it's a rural area. So a lot of the names I might mention from that area, most people haven't heard of. That's one of the areas of where there's an underserved population. It's among one of the five poorest counties in the entire United States.
1: Wow, wow. One of the five poorest in the whole U.S.? Yes. Okay, so we go back to roots in Huntsville, Alabama, Over 40 years ago, if I got the the chronology right, Uh, a student catches a vision to help just local people, right, who who weren't uh, getting the the food, the resources they needed. Correct. That individual ends up starting what becomes NAPS. Um, I heard about NAPS years ago. It was also through uh, someone I think who had roots at, um, I think back then they called it, Oakwood College mm. is, is that uh, the institution where that individual is yeah. associated? Now, is it still a college, a university? What is? I'm
2: actually currently a student at Oakwood University. So, okay. even though NAPS has expanded, it's currently separated um, from the university. But there's still many students who are still active in the NAPS ministry.
1: Okay, okay. So, people in Indian Country, um, they may not have heard of NAPS. Let's say someone's listening and they say, wow, they're talking about helping people with food insecurity and people with other needs. Um, we could use it right here on our reservation or we could use it right in this this area. Do you take invitations? Do you only do projects where there are students or people living there already? How does that whole process work?
3: And. It's great that you asked because of the different campuses that we have. Mm-hmm. They cater to different type of needs. Okay. So um, our southern campus is able to focus a lot more on what we call our health ministry. Mm-hmm. And they do more. There's even a herbal farm there. Um, An with, herbal farm? Yes, where we're able to grow medicinal things. And we have a clinic there that caters to the community. Um, like I said, because it's one of the poorest counties surrounded by two other poorer counties. That's part of that number five list of poor counties, poorest counties. So, um, because we want to cater to, to that block of counties, Mm -hmm. um, we planted ourselves there. So the clinic is there. And so to be able to work with the people there and we pretty much start at ground zero, retraining on health, basic healthful living, healthy choices, healthier lifestyle. And then working with them through the medication, um, those taking medication or a board certified physician who's stationed there is able to work to train and cutting down medications that are not necessary that can be um traced whenever possible um replaced whenever possible with um healthier choices
1: i mean this is amazing stuff i i hear what you're you're saying and it sounds like instead of some of these groups that say we'll come in and we'll do a a free clinic and they're there for a few days i mean i'm not saying that's not value to that it sounds like you guys are more focused on Mm long-term uh efforts is that right
3: absolutely and um like you said, one of the ways we do that, we are also one of those groups that also may go to do the 2 3 day clinic. But well, okay. The way we do that, we work with established places. So if we're invited, let's just say a uh-huh. group invites us to do that, we work with the people that are there, and we work on them and train to maintain. That's the same model we follow when we go overseas. When mm-hmm. we're doing health um, work overseas, we bring our, our physicians and we do the work. But we also train a group of young people to stay there and establish a branch to finish the work. They know the language, they know the culture, they're able to continue, and we serve as liaisons for support, for training, for education, so they can continue to feed and discipling them and training them so they can train others to do it as well. And in the case of the South, while we're planted there, um, we do stay for the longevity. We have Mm -hmm. the clinic there, we have the hub there. In places where we can't have it, we work with those who are able to continue who are localized in those areas Mm -hmm. because we do believe in longevity.
1: So... I'm trying to translate this into a number of contexts. So I heard an amazing thing that you just said, Bethy, and that is you've got an herb farm. Mm-hmm. And um, I know a lot of Native Americans still have a high regard for their traditional therapies and uh, some of those, you know, maybe herbal therapies. Mm-hmm. I know more tribes lately, it seems, at least in my circle are having these community gardens. Often they're focused on you know, vegetables and fruits. But um, from your experience, is it viable to grow medicinal herbs, or is that more labor-intensive and more challenging than an average community garden would want to surround?
3: From my experience, I will say um, invest your time and what you believe. Hmm. And so for us, um, since I told you we've been in existence for over 40 years, what mm-hmm. we're learning and going overseas, um, and initially we did the traditional um, go build up, gather medications from the U.S., take it overseas, able to give the people. But what we found is we would give it to them for a time, but where would they get it after? So. Right, right. And what we studied with these cultures and our experiences with them is that um, they had the traditional things, their beliefs, some may work, some may not, some they need better guidance in. Mm-hmm. So we tried to find cures that were more accessible to them. Mm-hmm. We have tried to find remedies that were in line with what they already believe, understood, or what they had access to. And I think that's part of what um, pushed us towards our of looking more into it. And so since then, we were able to um, come back to the U.S. and build a wellness center. So this wellness center is okay like where our, our clinic is. We cater to people all over the United States at this wellness center called Abundant Life, um, Wellness Center in the Soyville area as well. And at this wellness center, people will come for about a 10 day sessions and they're able to see, um, wonders being worked from things that we grow ourselves and that medicinal farm. And so seeing those results, to me, it's not a question of whether it's worth the investment. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, you guys are just expanding my horizon. I, I I never thought of NAPS running a residential wellness center. Am I hearing you guys right?
3: That's correct.
1: So let's say I got really sick, and uh, who knows what I have, cancer maybe, mm-hmm. and I wanted to go to a wellness center. I mean, could I go to your program?
3: Absolutely. Um, we've had testimonies with patients from cancer. Working with that. And so we've had stories of that already being done. So, yes, you could. We have um, ways for applications online where you can apply and you can come to the center for that session. Um, there will be a consultation done with you beforehand um, mm-hmm. to discuss the situations and the levels of it, whether you can travel and different things to consider. Or doctors know better of that, and they'll go through that check mark system with you. And from that part, then you could come to our program and...
1: Now, now, maybe the cancer example was not the best, but I hear what you're saying because it's not just saying, you know, if someone may be, uh, a candidate for a simple surgery to treat their cancer, you're not going to say, come and we'll give you some herbs. You've got a doctor who's screening all yes. of this before they even show up.
3: <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Yeah, so yes. I mean
1: I, I mean, I appreciate that really. You know, as a physician myself, I, I really value the natural and, you know, traditional therapies, but sometimes, um uh, people use these things inappropriately Mm yeah yeah we we don't want you taking um well we go through many examples but but the point is you guys are screening them you've got a health professional who's doing that yeah and then people come they actually work with a a licensed physician and other licensed health professionals yes
3: board certified um licensed physicians nurse practitioner that are on site um or person who does the herbal to their um doctorate They have, um, their doctorate in that field too, um, and so they work together to go through that screening process with you and to see, um, whether you're the best candidate for whatever we have to offer.
1: What is the name of this program again?
3: It's called, we call it AWI. Yeah. It's an acronym. What does that stand for? Abundant Life Wellness uh, Institute. Uh, Institute.
1: Abundant Life Life Wellness 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 Institute. Institute. I gotta write this down. Abundant (laughs) Life Wellness Institute. Let me write it down. And how does someone get a hold of of this place?
3: We do have um, a website.
1: Yeah, Abundant uh, Life Wellness Institute. Yes. I'm, I'm making notice. I've never heard of your place
4: before.
3: If, if you go to a general website, which uh-huh. is um, napsglobal.org, Naps uh-huh. yes, we'll have the listings for you for okay. um, the wellness center. There's information about NAPS School, which we oper- pro- operate a through K-8 school as well. And um, there's information in general about other services that NAPS provide. But you'll be able to get a direct feed to the Wellness Center website.
1: So Nirvana, we've been talking a lot about this <laughs> Wellness Center. And people are, if they're like me, they're saying, boy, is amazing. Abundant Life Wellness Institute. I can go to napsglobal.org, learn more about it. But uh, even though I've kind of gravitated to that because it's totally new to me, You're doing stuff that you've been doing for many years, making Mm -hmm. a huge difference. Tell us a little bit more, because here's my thinking. Some people may want to contact you because they actually want to take advantage of some of the services, not take advantage in a a negative way, but utilize them. And others just say, this sounds like a great model that we could use at our tribe. What other things would they find at the napsglobal.org website?
2: Um So for more for me as a student, um, what I do is a little bit different because I am in school. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I, we really focus on is the children and that aspect, because obviously they're the ones who are going to grow up and be committed members to our society. Mm-hmm. So definitely mm-hmm. we go and every week. We have programs for the children. We teach them different life lessons, um, whether it be honesty or how to be a good neighbor. Um, so we work with the kids and make sure that they're having those life lessons and those relationships with good, influential people. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said before, we also travel to many different states wherever we can, doing programs for children as well, in schools where they may not have mm-hmm. that love that they need um, to grow and flourish.
1: Wow, tremendous. Nirvana, Bethy, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule here at ASI to, to share your vision and to tell us about NAPS.
3: Okay, you're welcome. Thank you.
1: Thank you. <laughs> One more time, if you uh, enjoyed what these ladies were talking about, want to learn more about NAPS, the National Association for the Prevention of Starvation, you can go to napsglobal.org, N-A-P-S, global, dot We've got to step away from this segment of American Indian Living. We've got a lot more coming up on today's edition of the show. Don't go away. A lot more right after this.
0: Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose.
1: Welcome back to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We are continuing our series of really stimulating, engaging interviews here at ASI 2019 in Louisville, Kentucky. We just had the opportunity of hearing from folks who represent the National Association for the Prevention of Starvation, our next guest really follows along in that kind of same vein, talking about underserved, underprivileged groups throughout the world here in this country and beyond. Her name is Terry Saley. Terry, it's great to have you with us.
8: It's an honor to be with you, Dr. DeRose.
1: Terry, you have a fascinating background. I don't know the half of it, and so I'm going to take the opportunity to get to know you as my listeners are doing the same. Tell us first about your fairly Innovative, unusual training. You trained at a small college where I, ac- I actually used to be a teacher. You may or may not realize oh. that. Uh, tell us about that.
8: Yes, I studied at Weimar Institute, uh, which has a college and a health institute, as you know, where people come from all over the world to over to for treatment for chronic and degenerative diseases mm-hmm. such as heart disease, diabetes, and. Um, My focus there was on learning health, but uh, I also was very interested in other cultures because I had spent four years working in refugee camps.
1: Really? Before you went to Weimar? Before I
8: went to Weimar, Uh I had uh, done my freshman year at Union College in Nebraska, and then I went to Thailand to teach English in refugee camps. and. In the meantime, I went for six months, ended up staying four years and wow. learning a couple of languages. Uh huh, uh-huh. And, um, and discovering cultures that, that were so fascinating. I just fell in love with them and ended up, I, <laughs> I haven't managed to get far away from, them. I just love these cultures and love working with them. And so that's what I do.
1: Well, it's exciting. So you have this background of, of cross-cultural uh, interfacing, working with people of all kinds of different backgrounds and cultures, and it's, uh, it's exciting to have you because you really have been looking at some issues that I've been fascinated by lately. You're aware, and many of my listeners are aware, that I recently wrote a book called The Methuselah Factor, and mm-hmm. it's looking at how we can improve our blood fluidity. We don't just talk about diet and exercise and a lot of the things that people have heard about can improve their health. We talk about some of these psychological and spiritual things. One of the things we highlight in the book is the power of altruism and kindness. Uh, And I know you have a special interest in this. Tell us why this is so germane to what you've been dealing with.
8: You know, in working cross-culturally and um, learning about different uh, groups, I've worked primarily now for thirty years with refugees who have come from troubled backgrounds mm-hmm. and I find that just one common theme is so often the reason we don't understand each other is because we are misunderstanding each other's reasons for doing things, their okay. motives. Okay. And and we we might think that they're doing things for one reason because what they do means one thing in our culture. Uh-huh. When actually, if we just ask them and listen to them, we often discover an enriching, end up with an enriching experience in learning that they had altruistic motives Mm -hmm. in what they did, and it it just can draw us together. And I I find that even problems between countries and political strife often stems from just Little misunderstandings that if they had been nipped in the bud could have ended in cooperation and brotherhood.
1: I mean, it's such a powerful message throughout Indian country, and especially since many of the folks that tune into American Indian living are not Native. As we speak about you know, how do Native Americans function optimally in a world where, instead of being the majority population that they were historically on this continent, now a minority population, and it really goes both ways. Oftentimes, there is actual mistreatment. There are malign, you know, bad motives that people may have to individuals from different cultures, whether it's here on this continent or elsewhere. But other times, like you point out, people that might be well-meaning are misperceived. And and I'm really concerned about the cultural environment we find ourselves in today. Whether you're native or not, uh, our cultures become very polarized, and we tend to read the worst motives into things that people say attitudes that they have, um, it seems like your message is more needed now than ever before.
8: Well, I I am just impressed over and over again with three things. I think the importance of not fearing the unknown. Okay. Secondly, if in doubt, ask. Mm
0: -hmm, mm Mm-hmm.
8: Thirdly, if you don't know, then assume the best motives.
0: Wow. Wow,
8: and what something you just said triggered an illustration. Mm -hmm. Um, In, for example, there in the in the country of Syria, there are it has kind of it's not on the news as much now, but there are you know many Syrian refugees Mm -hmm. have fled from Syria, and rumor has it that they're coming as terrorists. They see young men and jump to the conclusion that, oh, they're coming as terrorists. When But actually, I have friends who have relatives with young men in the country of Syria, and they are afraid. These young men want to leave the country. Their families are eager to get them out because they believe that fighting is not the solution. Mm. And they know that if they stay, they will probably be either drafted or forced to join one side or the other, mm-hmm. but they don't want to join sides. They don't want to fight. Mm. And actually, these are the conscientious objectors. These are the ones that love peace. Mm. But just because of a rumor or a, or some miscommunication from certain leaders, there, there's a, a very strong understanding in our country or misunderstanding that they are coming to do us harm when actually They are peace lovers, anthropologists call this dynamic a brain drain from the country where there's conflict. Mm. And actually, if we welcome them, like the Native Americans welcomed my ancestors, my Mm. ancestors came from Europe and were welcomed by the Native Americans.
1: Now I know many Native Americans can be saying well we wish our our ancestors weren't so welcoming. I don't blame of, them. <laughs> because of how the uh how many repaid their kindness. But yes. but your point your point is well taken. Just because someone violates trust just mm-hmm. because someone abuses kindness doesn't mean that we should be unkind and uh judge people in the worst light. Now it is true. Yes. There is definitely room. I mean, the Native American experience says there is definitely room for caution, but yes, I am so thankful for the gracious spirit that I have seen in people throughout First Nation communities. And I really think it speaks to us, like you're saying.
8: Yes. Two wrongs don't make a right. And when, and, and I think it's so easy to get pulled into the downward spiral, um, and, you know, my heart goes out to what the Native Americans have gone through at the hands of, I don't know if my, I hope my specific ancestors weren't involved, but I can't say that they weren't as I read the history. And I would like to personally apologize to my brothers and sisters in the Native American community for what, for the terrible things that my people group has done. And if there was any way I could <laughs> make it right, I, I just... I think there's so much room for asking and listening to what people have been through, not defensively as, you know, what are you blaming me for, but just listening, putting ourselves in their place. And I think I would like to learn a lot more directly from the Native American community about what they've been through and how they would like us to engage now. Um I know that working with other cultures is such an enriching experience and i would encourage anyone here when you see someone you don't know in the grocery line say hi ask where you're from what language do you speak um find out something interesting about them it will make their day
1: well terry one of the things i appreciate about you is not only your perspective because uh, you know going back to where we started this segment about improving health through kindness, through altruism, but you also represent the Seventh-day Adventist Church. You actually hold a position in what's called the North American Division of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Tell us what that title actually is.
8: Yes, I coordinate ARIM, for short, Adventist Refugee and Immigrant Ministries.
1: And what I appreciate about that is we do this show, as we talk to Native American issues People say, well, we know the Seventh-day Adventist Church is interested in Native Americans, but you represent the fact that the Seventh-day Adventist Church is really interested in truly demonstrating the principles of Christianity, and that means everyone being treated equally, everyone are brothers and sisters, helping other cultures regardless of whether they're a majority culture or a minority culture. Our time has about slipped away, but some people may want to connect with you. They're interested in issues with refugees and other underrepresented populations. Do you have some contact information?
8: Yes, you can go to our website, refugeeministries.org. And um, my name is Terry Saley. My contact information, my phone number and email address are there, and I welcome the privilege of engaging with anyone who would like to know more.
1: Refugee Ministries?
8: Refugee Ministries, plural. Dot
1: org. Dot org. Okay. Terry, we got to step away. we got another guest uh, waiting to come on the show. We have to just pause for just a couple of minutes. we got a lot more coming up on today's edition of American Indian Living. We'll be transitioning to an intervention you could do in your communities, a living example of that in our next segment. Don't go away.
0: American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre recorded broadcast, please call 1 800 775 HOPE. That's 1 800 775 4673.
6: So, you want to be a hero? Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke. Sudden weakness on one side or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke.
7: Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So, whether it's around your neighborhood... Or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit wrinstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute since 1936.
0: You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose.
1: Welcome back to American Indian Living, Dr. David DeRose. We've been really getting a flavor for really the whole world. We've talked with folks from NAPS who are based right here in the United States but uh, do work overseas as well. Then we just uh, talked with Terry Saley, who has a special interest in people of all backgrounds. She's worked especially in Asia, gave us illustrations from the Middle East. And now we're coming right back to the heart of Indian country. We've got Karen Holland sitting across from me. Karen, it's great to have you with us.
4: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: Karen, many people know you. You have deep roots in Oklahoma. You've been making such a difference there over the years. But for those who have not had the privilege of meeting you, Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do.
4: Uh, I am the president of Oklahoma Academy. Oklahoma Academy is situated like right almost in the center of Oklahoma. And we have a deep interest in young people and um, working with and training young people to be a strong part of their community uh, and caring and serving and um, helping anybody in their community in any way they can.
1: I, of course, uh, for those who've listened to this show over the years, know uh, that I lived in Oklahoma for many years. I had the privilege on a number of occasions for being there at uh, at Oklahoma Academy, and I was always excited about this spirit of service that the kids had, this uh, vision for helping making a difference. And I know, as I was at different events throughout Oklahoma, I'd often see your choir, your bell choir. Uh, we'd see your students doing different things. How long has Oklahoma Academy been around?
4: Uh, Oklahoma Academy has been started in 1981. So this will be our 39th school year, I believe, mm-hmm. coming up.
1: Wow. So you've got this long history. And you've had students from a whole variety of backgrounds. So you have students right from Oklahoma, students with native backgrounds, but you've got students from all over the world. Is that safe to say?
4: Yes, all over the world, from Mexico to Korea to Japan to India, countries in Europe.
1: From wow. Wow. What is it that draws these kids from seemingly all over to a relatively small school? I mean, this is not some sprawling, you know, campus with thousands of students, right?
4: No, no. They are drawn to the program and to uh, what we have to offer in training them to for their future and where mm-hmm. they're going to go and what they're going to do and how they're going to serve.
1: One of the other things I've appreciated about Oklahoma Academy, so often we speak about young adults, uh high school age, college age students, we think of them as many times not prioritizing their health. Uh, in health circles, we, we talk about younger individuals feeling invulnerable and basically throwing caution to the wind, feeling like they can do anything. But for years, you at Oklahoma Academy have had a strong priority on really teaching the kids solid health principles, uh, you 've invited people like me, uh, Dr. Neil Nedley, others that our, our listeners would know they 've been guests on the show to your campus to speak to your students. Yes. Why do you guys have that vision for your young people in your charge
4: well i can 't think there 's a couple of reasons. One is because health is the foundation of everything you do in life. without it you 're not going to be successful so the healthier you are the better the health has your physical health has everything to do with your brain and you know for for somebody who's seeking to go to school who's going to go on and go to school the health of their brain is so so invaluable and and important and health is an excellent way to serve your community mm. to know about how to be healthy how to reach out and help others who aren't healthy be healthy or to stay healthy
1: So tell us a little bit about what it would look like if I sent my child, my grandchild, which I don't have yet, but (laughs) if I were to send someone like that, I'm thinking of my my listeners, if they send them to Oklahoma Academy, what kind of health experiences would they have?
4: Well, just this last spring, we went on a trip to Cuba, Mm -hmm. and we divided our students into six different teams, and we went to six different cities, and as a part of that, we did um, health lectures, and um, we did a program called a Health Expo where people come and they, they learn different aspects of how to be healthy uh, naturally and mm-hmm. how, how, to, how to get well.
1: So tell us a little bit more about this Health Expo concept. I know some folks are familiar with it, but others are saying, well, what does that look like?
4: So a health expo is something that, that you, you set up that has different stations of different areas of, of health um, that you come in and, and you have your blood pressure taken and you, you have your body fat evaluated and you have your lungs evaluated and, and your exercise you know, your cardiovascular health mm. evaluated and all the way through as you go through each one of these stations and you have these evaluations, then you get information about where you are in that. How are you doing in that area of health? And then how can, how can you be more healthy? What kind of things can you do, um, in those, those areas to be more healthy?
1: So this sounds like a probably a money-making project for the school. You mean you charge a, a nice price for people to go through this program, this health expo?
4: No, this is a service that okay. that's done to the community. So it's a free program? It's a free program, yes. Yeah.
1: So I'm thinking of some of the people that I rub shoulders with in Oklahoma, and they're saying, wow, here's a group of students in a school that does these free health screenings. Are you guys, like, booked for the next five or ten years? Or if some uh, tribal group said hey we'd love to have some students do an event like this on our tri you know in our tribal location or community center would you be open to considering something like that
4: absolutely that would really be wonderful we wow. would love
0: to do that
1: so before we get any further people need to know how do they track either you down or some key person at Oklahoma Academy if they're wanting to learn more either about the school or maybe some opportunities to collaborate with you
4: okay a couple of different ways but first off they can go to our website it's www.oklahomaacademy.org, so it's very simple um, to go there. And from there, they can get in contact with us. Our number at the school is 405-454-6211. My name is Karen Holland. I kind of head up uh, some of the health outreach um, things that we do. And, yeah, we would love to be a part of that.
1: Now let me see if I've got this, because you know these uh, websites and numbers, I can tell very well. So it's oklahomaacademy.org. Correct. Okay, so if I go there on the web, I can get uh, all this contact information. But you also gave a phone number for those who may not have reliable internet. It's area code 405. Yes. And then what have we got after that?
4: 454.
1: Five, 454.
4: Five, mm-hmm. 6211.
1: Okay, 405-454-6211. Oh, five, four, five, four, six, one, one. And you are the president of Oklahoma Academy, yes. Karen Holland. Okay, now I know not only do you do things throughout Oklahoma, but you do stuff right on your own campus. Yes. And you and I were together, it seems like not all that long ago. I mean, Just I say a years. you and I, but you, you know, the whole campus was sure. there. And you did an event for the community. Mm-hmm. I gather this was an annual health event. Yes. Tell us a little bit about what that is. And some of the folks in Oklahoma may want to drop in on it.
4: Okay, so we're excited about this event. It's an international food fair. Uh, where, because we have international students and we have international staff, mm-hmm. we have put together a kind of a campus-wide family event that we do, um, f- with foods, healthy foods, from all of those countries, mm. um, from the countries from where they are. So we have Asian food, we have European food, we have Hispanic food, we have Indian food, um, and, so people can come to that, they buy tickets, they come in. But also as a part of that event, we invite somebody in to, to talk about some area of health. So mm-hmm. Dr. DeRose, you talked about diabetes. We've had somebody that's talked about stress. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the kinds of things that, that we do. So we have a lecture area where they can come, they can eat and listen, or they can just come and listen, but then they can participate in in the event as a whole.
1: When I was there, I really enjoyed the food. I enjoyed the company. I can't comment on the lecture, you know, because that would be a biased evaluation. <laughs> but um, is there a certain time of year this happens? Like, like if I was living in the Oklahoma City area, I mean, you're very close uh, there. If I wanted to put it on my calendar, uh, would I put a certain date down? Do you know it in advance?
4: Um This year it's going to be in March. Okay. So when you say
1: this year, we're talking 2020?
4: 2020, yeah, this school year. Okay. It will be in March. Um, usually it's been the last weekend of February, but we've had to change that because of some other things this year. So mm-hmm. it will be in March, and we will be publishing that date on our website. Oh, okay. And we will be putting it out um, on Facebook as well.
1: Now, you folks, even though, again, you're a relatively small school, like what's the enrollment there uh, typically?
4: Um, this last year we had 33.
1: Okay. So it's a small school. Yes uh service oriented practically oriented the kids are are hands on that's right uh but very qualified teachers i mean the kids seem to get a good education who come out of there
4: absolutely yes
1: and um if someone knows about you they know that you bring in people for i mean all kinds of activities so you don't just have health speakers you have motivational speakers devotional speakers if someone goes to that OklahomaAcademy.org website, can they see all the events that you've got coming up at the school?
4: Yes. They should be able to, to pick up, pull up a calendar that would give when we have concerts, um, and when we have those kind of speakers on campus.
1: And is there typically a charge for these special events? No. Okay. I mean, this is just great. And yeah. I, I know there's actually a retirement community fairly close by and I've gathered yes. they often take advantage of of these free concerts and lectures and things. Yes. So that's a really great uh, great opportunity you've got there. What about other things? As you think about your role in what used to be Indian Territories, the Native American neighbors that you rub shoulders with, have you found other things that have either resonated with uh, your Native neighbors or things that the, the students have gotten inspired by in the area of health as far as helping in the communities?
4: One of the things that we have on our campus is, is a store that provides health, um, education and health, um, health food products. Wow. That, that they can come to and, and get. And, and we're working more intentionally to develop the health education side of that, mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. that facility.
1: So if someone is, um, In the Oklahoma City area. Now how far actually are you from kind of the heart of Oklahoma City?
4: About twenty six miles.
1: Okay, and you're pretty much east, is that right? East, yes. Okay. So for anybody
4: uh, living there, they would know what sixty third street is. We're on northeast sixty third street.
1: Okay. So if someone says I'm looking for some other healthy options, it's like a health food store, but it has a special emphasis on health education though, materials that are pretty well vetted by your team.
4: Yes. Yes, we have some of Dr. DeRose's materials. Um, and we have started uh, a little soup kitchen. So we huh. serve soup. We're starting to serve sandwiches as well and kind of enhancing so that when people come, they can actually get something to eat while they're there. Okay.
1: Today there's a lot of options as far as health food stores or even in grocery stores, a lot more options. But I think it's especially valuable to have a place where someone is really scrutinizing what kind of educational messaging is there too, because sometimes some of these places, uh, you know, from a physician standpoint, some of the materials there are not, uh, not really carefully screened. So people might be able to get some good natural products, but they might be getting some misinformation as well. Yes. Well, as we're winding up this segment, Karen, any final words, uh, words of encouragement to those tuning in, any last messages you'd like to leave our listeners with?
4: Well, we're just excited to be a part of our community and um, right in the heart of Native America. And we, we would love to be a part of encouraging, um, health in their lives. Um, and any way that we can get involved in that, we're really, we're really open to.
1: Thank you so much. That was Karen Holland. She's the president of Oklahoma Academy. Again, if you want to contact her or her team, oklahomaacademy.org or call 405-454-6211. We've got another great guest coming up in our final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Stay tuned. We will be right back after this.
0: Today's broadcast has been prerecorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1 800 775 4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids.
7: I'm going to be an architect.
0: My dream is to be a chef.
7: At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college, I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz.
2: It started off as a normal day.
7: I felt fine when I arrived at the plant.
6: Ruth Junius's life was about to change.
3: Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared.
6: Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do.
3: They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand,
6: and someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms.
2: Within a few minutes, I was talking again. I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and
3: family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it.
6: No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. You're listening to Dr.
0: David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose.
1: Welcome back for our final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We have the fortune, the good fortune, of having a guest returning to our virtual studio here in Louisville, Kentucky, in the exhibit hall for the ASI International Convention. It is the registered dietitian by the name of Hilda Lisa Flickinger. Hilda Lisa, it's great to have you with us.
5: Thank you for having me again.
1: Here at ASI, if no one has ever been to uh, these uh, conferences that take place on an annual basis, there are a lot of young people, a lot of families that are here. And uh, one of the things this institution, this organization is very focused on is giving uh, the entire family a a good experience over the course of the four days or so of the conference, right?
5: That's right. And my kids are enjoying it very very much.
1: And your kids remind us, how old are they?
5: They are 10 and 12.
1: So you are a mother, you're a registered dietitian, you're a wife, your husband is very involved here. I know at, at these meetings he's often speaking or being pulled in various directions. In fact, come to think of it, other than seeing him passing in the halls, I don't think I've seen much of him.
5: I haven't either. So. Okay,
1: I can understand that. So uh, Eric, many of you know, is uh, one of the, the uh, speakers for a group called It Is Written, and uh, we've so appreciated Eric's uh, work over the years. But we've, we're here with Hilda Lisa, who actually I've appreciated, I, I want to say equally, but I don't want to compare the two of you. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's good to have you here. We had you on an earlier segment. Actually, you let off the ASI interviews for me, and you talked then some about nutrition for the family. Mm -hmm. Yes. This is such an important topic, and we speak about it really, I would say, too little. So I was so glad when we were able to coordinate just one more slot for you to share practical tips for how you can feed your family and do it in a reasonable way economically. Because there's so many people today saying, oh, yeah, you can get these great foods, these alternatives... And they really cost a huge amount of money. People say, I just can't afford those healthy foods. So so walk us through what kind of things can a, a mother do on a tight budget or a father, if he's the one preparing the foods, or a grandparent, whoever it is, what right. can they do?
5: Well, I came up with about six points, very practical things that you can do. The first mm-hmm. thing that I would say is to throw away the junk. Because if you don't have it around, the kids won't eat it. If it's not in the house, you're not going to be tempted and the kids won't be tempted. Secondly, and probably most importantly, the money you would be spending on junk food, you can spend on healthy foods.
7: Mm.
5: Um, so you want to get rid of the junk and then go more with the foods as closely to as grown as possible. And just remember that you're shaping your kids eating habits at the, in the home. So, um, the next thing that I would do is to, once you get rid of the junk, is feed them real food.
1: Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> feed them real food. Who's, who's eating fake food?
5: <gasps> Most people are eating fake food. If it's anything in a bag or uh, anything, a crumb, uh, crumbly, crinkly bag, that's really not real food. If you think of um, potato chips, do, do they look like potatoes at all? Mm. Um, I haven't seen a potato chip tree yet.
1: Okay, okay fair enough. <laughs> so so here's, here's my question. We're talking about these two principles, throwing away the junk food and feeding them real food. Is there a difference between fake food and junk food?
0: Um,
5: Usually they're pretty close.
1: Okay. Yes. So, so one of these signs is the crinkly bags. So there's a, a group over here. I think it was called Country Life Natural Foods. It was giving out these mixes of dried fruit and nuts in a crinkly bag should i have avoided those
5: (laughs) of course you can use your common sense there are a few exceptions you can get some nuts you know and almonds and things like that and mixes but most of the time that's not what people think of when they think of getting things in a crinkly bag Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or things that are already made like convenience foods a lot of convenience foods um, or fast foods, um, things like that.
1: Okay. Okay. So we're, we're trying to eat more of those foods just like they come out of the ground, mm-hmm. uh, less processing. Is, is this kind of the idea? Right. Right. Yeah. So you
5: want to, um, stick more with the plant foods, like the plant protein foods, beans and legumes and lentils and the whole grains, um, you know, like brown rice and the whole grain pasta. So those things are going to, um, give you the fiber, the nutrients, they're very healthy, and um, also the fruits and the vegetables, of course, that's mm-hmm. what you should base your, your, plan your meals around, fruits and vegetables to make sure that you do get those, and those are the things that are full of water and fiber, they're going to fill you up, fill your family up, so that they're not hungry, you know, between meals and have to reach for a snack and grab those crinkly bags again. <laughs>
1: I think this is one of the biggest issues that many people are concerned about today. They're looking at their kids, their grandkids, and this is not just an Indian country concern. I mean, this is a concern in every segment of the population, and that is it seems like our kids are getting heavier and uh, our, our population is getting heavier. plant foods that are high in fiber and water. No calories in fiber, no calories in water, right?
5: Mm-hmm. That's right.
1: So you're filling up on low-calorie foods, going to contribute so much to the weight problem right that's right great great
5: um and you know of course you might think that if you start buying a lot of these fruits and vegetables you're going to be spending more money and they're just pricier but think about it if you're not buying the junk food or the prepared convenience foods you're going to have more money left over good point for those things um and and that leads into also the idea of how much are you eating out? Mm. If you cook more things at home, you're going to save a lot of money and you're going to be feeding your family much healthier foods. Um, but when we talk about feeding at home, you're going to be saying, I don't have time.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Common, common.
5: That's right. And it, that's a fact of life. We have packed schedules, but the best thing you can do for that is to have a plan. Okay. So have a weekly plan on what you're going to feed your family that week and um, stick to that and do that before you go grocery shopping. So that way you can get the things that you need for the week and uh, you're going to end up wasting less food and wasting mm. less money if you have a plan. I've heard
1: one of the high risk times, I don't know what you think about this as a dietitian, Hilda Lisa, is if you go into the grocery store when you're hungry... And you don't have a plan. Is that really true?
5: Of course. Because okay. everything you see, it's going to appeal to you. <laughs> but and then again, if you don't have a plan, um, you're just going to buy for things you, might, you think you might need through the week. Mm. But then you end up not preparing the, the meals that you thought you were going to prepare. And the food just goes to waste, especially if it's fresh vegetables. Then, you know, you'll have to throw them away. So.
1: Well, well, what do people need to cook and what should they eat raw? That's always a question that comes up, too.
5: Uh, well, what should they eat raw? Now, definitely it's a good idea to eat more foods as grown and, and more raw foods, but, um, I don't believe as a dietitian and the science doesn't really show that you need to eat everything raw. Okay. So definitely the vegetables and the salads and things like that, they're good to be raw, but there are foods that you actually need to cook in order to, to absorb the nutrients um, best like the beans and mm-hmm. the whole grains mm-hmm. you must cook those foods so yes eat more r- raw foods um, like the vegetables and the fruits but not everything needs to be raw
1: now a lot of people have said you can be making all the right choices but it's how you eat in the setting in which you eat that makes a difference you have any insights into that
5: well, uh, something that comes to mind is very important for families to eat together um, because there's a, a recent article by the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, that shows there's so many benefits. For example, your family are going to have improved mental health. Uh, your kids are going to have improved uh, academic performance. There's wow. going to be less obesity as adults. You're going to have improved eating patterns, your whole family. And get this, with each additional family meal that's shared each mm-hmm. week, adolescents are less likely to show symptoms of depression and less likely to use drugs and less likely to engage in delinquent activities. Really? So very, very important, not just nutritionally, but mentally uh, and socially for families to come together and eat.
1: So if someone says, I don't like anything that Hilda Lisa said, she's telling me to give up my favorite foods and eat a bunch of stuff that I don't like, if they just take this one point away, even if you're going to eat the junk food, at least sit down together and eat it. Would, would that be a good conclusion, or you, am I starting to get you worried?
5: Well, <laughs> that, that's a step in the right direction. But, uh, no, you want to feed your family the best, and you can if you have a plan.
1: I mean, these are great messages, Hilda Lisa. I know you have a very busy schedule, a lot of responsibilities even here at ASI. Any final words of wisdom uh, for the folks tuning in today?
5: Um, Well, just um, go more with the plant-based foods and have a plan and be a family together, even if it's at least a few meals a week together. Just move more in that direction.
1: Thank you so much. That was Hilda Lisa Flickinger. She's a registered dietitian and someone who is not only invested in the health of her own family, but wants you to have optimal health. I think it's a fitting conclusion to an exciting show that really brought us really, Guests from all over the world, at least people representing perspectives from all over the world. Hopefully, you've taken away things that can make a difference for you, for your health, for your family's health, and of course, for your communities, your tribe, and beyond. For all of us at American Indian Living, I'm Dr. David DeRose wishing you the very best of health.
0: Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.